Welcome to the All Things Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Rick Prince. And today we have on our podcast, strength conditioning specialist, Lori Thompson. Lori, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, um, perhaps you could give me a little bit of a background education, what you're working on, um, how strength conditioning and um, you know that whole aspect came into your, to sort of being your forte. Um, sure. Yeah. So a little background, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years. Um, I've been studying it for 18 years, uh, started it in my undergrad and my focus was exercise science. Um, I went through an MBA as well, cause I wanted the business side of exercise science, which is a completely different route than I've ever seen. <laughs> and heard people go through. Uh, and I took a huge break after my MBA and just started working as a shrink conditioning coach. Um, and probably about four years ago, three and a half years ago, I pursued a PhD. Um, that is kind of the end all be all of education for anybody, unless you're going into like medical school (laughs) and (laughs) I don't see myself memorizing as much as them. So the PhD has just pursued me that I really wanted to do research around strength conditioning. I have people that I follow that are doctorates that are just diagnosing uh, how important strength conditioning is for a numerous amount of uh, individuals from young to old. And um, the path that I've kind of started to go into is strength training for endurance athletes. Mm. My background in sports is I grew up a soccer player okay. <laughs> and it, it's ironic because if you were to tell me to go do a two mile run, I would be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So if you said I can go do plyometrics, do sprints on a soccer field, that was my jam back then. Uh, but I gradually shifted my way into endurance myself. Uh, y- you know. I still had to be really good at soccer. So my mind of a teenager shifted towards, well, what are the things I need to do to be a great uh, soccer player? Mm. I grew up very talented um, and I'm very grateful of that. And then starting to do some long runs, I'm like, wow, I'm actually enjoying this. Mm. So around 2007, doing my strength conditioning, I started doing some triathlons. didn't get into it very heavily. And then it took me a couple of years by 2011, I started doing half Ironmans. Okay. Wow. And completely shifted boats. My, my soccer career stopped. Um, and while I was doing strength conditioning with athletes and like general population people, um, I was pursuing five years of Ironman and I stayed with it for a long time because I had two of the best coaches I could have asked for from a starting career. And Mm. it was Siri Lindley and Rebecca Keat. Oh yeah. Yeah. Siri's a legend. (laughs) And I had, I had worked with them and I loved them and adored them. And, um, it, it just became a passion to me to stay in the endurance field. And Rebecca Keat had recognized that I was a very good cyclist. Okay. Um, and 
I kind of shifted towards doing biking because I loved it so much. Mm. Um, and ever since then, I've stayed in cycling. Um, I do a lot of endurance races, mountain biking, gravel racing. And on the side, I'm doing my doctorate. Um, I'm coaching athletes and strength conditioning. And, you know, that's where I'm at today. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and now you ran your own uh training studio, correct? Your own strength conditioning uh studio. Yeah, I had so I had lived in Chicago um pretty much my entire life, so 18 years, just recently moved to the suburbs. Um, but prior to the suburbs, it was about six years of owning my facility and my company. Um and around that time, pursuing my doctorate while I had a business too, started to become a lot. Hmm. And I had kind of a come to Jesus moment where my passion was still in education. And I started shifting towards coaching development um, and meeting with coaches, how to help them. And I, of course, was doing it in the studio um, that I own downtown Chicago, but I realized I didn't. I didn't truly enjoy being a business owner at that point, mm. Yeah, um, which kind of hit right at the same time COVID hit. Um, so I was kind of saying, you know, I need to part ways with owning the business okay. uh, because I wanted to pursue a more research side of what I love the most, which is strength conditioning. Got it. Got it. So now you're sort of able to blend both of your passions, strength conditioning, uh, and endurance sports, and then kind of wrapping that all up in the, in the research component then. Yeah. 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 And I maybe have a stack of papers upstairs, probably two feet high. <laughs> that it, it doesn't intimidate me. I love reading articles because I love divulging what is not in certification books and, mm. and it's completely different what is coming out versus what was 20 years ago. So yeah, I completely shifted towards more of like the research side and, um, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's great when, when someone loves, uh, loves the research component, cause it, it is so, so obviously needed. Um, so let, let's get in to talk about, you know, I think you have a very unique perspective coming from strength training, coming from, you know, soccer and now morphing over into endurance sports. You know, I've been involved in endurance sports probably since I was 14. I started racing bikes and and it's strength training. It's almost like it's at odds with not that it is. I mean, it's it's complementary, obviously, but from the from most endurance athletes perspective, it's sort of this misnomer. It's sort of like, we don't do that. We don't go to the gym. We just ride or run or swim a lot. Um, so why do you think that is? And then is this, sh is this changing? Have you seen sort of a shift in your career where, um, you know, endurance athletes, it's not like a four letter word anymore. It's becoming more accepted. Yeah. I think there's a two part to that. <laughs> I think if we look back at 10, even just 10 years ago, I think a lot of endurance coaches just wanted to do endurance training um, and not have a background in um, strength training. And I think the only component is that is to look at the history is if athletes um, had a history of strength conditioning, they'll continue to do it. And also if the coach has a history of strength conditioning, they'll implement it and know the reason where to implement it for those athletes. And I think, um, 
the second part is not knowing enough about strength conditioning, mm. which I think is why it's coming to light nowadays because people are expressing the importance around strength conditioning for endurance athletes. But the problem that we're seeing is even though we're researching and knowing what to do with personal trainers and how they're working with endurance athletes, they don't know where to implement it. They don't know mm. what days to do it, you know, an off day is now becoming a strength day. Yeah. And that's not, that's not really good uh, for endurance athletes, whether it's a, a marathoner, whether it's a person that is an ultra runner or a cyclist, they're, they're not knowing where to put the strength conditioning in because yeah. they're just learning about it. Yeah. So I think the phase of strength training education is coming to light a lot more and coaches are wanting to learn so much more about it because we have so much more research. Yeah. into that field now. I don't think there was as much back then. So we didn't know what the reasons were that endurance athletes needed to take a two hour run day off to do strength training instead. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that science to support like we do nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's interesting. I, I think I mentioned this on another podcast. It's funny in the cycling world, uh, actually, in like November, December, when a lot of the pro teams have their training camps, they have like almost this obligatory photo shoots of the whole team in the gym. They're doing sit-ups and push-ups and squats and all this stuff, but then, which is fine. But the problem is they never touch weights again for the rest of the year. It's kind of like if you do three, three sessions in the winter, you're good to go for the rest of the year. And, yeah. and it's so, it's so funny to me how like antiquated you know, that model is, and hopefully again, it's changing a little bit. Um, and, and I think the other problem, this is at least my perspective on it, is it, this isn't true, but even if that was true that, you know, strength training was a liability for pro cyclists or pro runners, which it's not clearly. Um, but even if it were, you know, that doesn't necessarily translate to the average person who wants to do strength training to, you know, lose fat, you know, look better you know, osteoporosis. So, I feel like there's so many, obviously, health reasons, aside from even the endurance sports element, right, that it's just critically important. Yeah. And I think looking at the difference in those two type of people is the professional athlete is, I think it's also going to become a lot tougher for them because they have to travel more sure. um, or in group rides more. So having the availability when they do travel for the right components for strength training, it, it becomes tougher. Yeah. Um, and I think the general population person, I think it just goes back to just intimidation, um, yeah. not having education around it. Even if they were to go into a gym, I mean, you ask a person if they've ever worked with a coach, there's such a high percentage that people just go into the gym to try to lift a little bit to get a benefit out of it and don't have the education behind it, whether they've seeked someone to assist them. Um, but yeah, it goes back to a lot of people don't know much about strength training. Yeah. And if you were to look at also the male and female difference, males can go in and their, their buddies are there and they've been there and, and it's been in male sports a lot longer. Sure. Even for younger generations for high school. And it hasn't been with females as long. It has been studied for females as, yeah, it's a good long point. as, as well. So it rolls into, if it has been studied long and now you have these baby boomers and even younger in the fifties that had never been educated, 
they're they're just going to do what they enjoy and what they know yeah. and don't seek the people that actually can benefit them in some way with strength training. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, the majority of my career was spent as a personal trainer. And I remember to this day, the first day I ever set foot in a gym, to your point, me and my my idiot buddy back in high school, we joined a gym uh, for the summer. I think we were like 17 because there was some discounted membership. And they had like the, uh, what they, almost like the, the Cybex room all selectorized. And then they had the free weight room and it was full of these huge guys throwing weight around <laughs> screaming. I'm like, Oh my God, like we're not going, don't go in there. Like that's just, you know, and even with the selectorized machines, we had no idea what we were doing. It was, you know, but I always think back to that. Like when I would work with clients in the gym, I would always try to remember how I felt walking into the gym that time. And it was complete intimidation, not just about the people that were there, but the fact that I had no idea what I was doing. Like we were literally each selectorized piece of equipment. We were reading the label on it to say, oh, this does your quads. You're supposed to sit like this on this machine. And and I think, you know, when you're around that for long enough, you kind of forget that that's the, maybe not the majority, but a lot of people's experience when they walk into a gym. Yeah. I mean, I'm 16 years into personal training and strength coaching, and I, I walk into a brand new gym. I could also I could walk up to a machine without looking at any of the information, and be like, "Okay, this is a lateral raise machine." You know, there's some sort of experience when you look at equipment, and it might not yeah. be intimidating because you've used it at some point. Yeah. But a beginner coming into a gym, and you're literally coming into a gym, you don't know where to walk. You don't sure. know where are you don't know how the equipment is set up and you go to a machine you don't know where what weight to start with you have to look at the pictures yeah you see someone looking at the pictures and doing super lightweight and then they're done after one try because they didn't like it so yeah. there's an education it, it, yeah. it just it literally continues to wrap around education yeah. you have someone that walks into a brand new gym where do they walk first a treadmill yeah that's true. why the treadmills are right in the front <laughs> Because everyone knows how to work a treadmill. Yeah. Yep. They know yep. how to work a stationary bike. Yeah. Well, they put those in the front because of the, those are the most basic things that people are looking for because they're so comfortable with them. Right. Where dumbbells are in the back of the room. That's I never thought about that. You're absolutely right, though. It's so intimidating. Yeah. Um, and to this day, it is the same setup. It's Interesting. the same setup for gyms. Yeah. Uh, and the tough thing is, there's new fitness companies coming out that are making equipment um, even biomechanically efficient for joint angle and joint movement and the changes. Mm. But that becomes even more intimidating for the average person to walk right. in and like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm just going back to my treadmill. Yep. Yep. That's true. That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. Something I didn't even really, really think about, but yeah, you're right. Every gym I've been in, it's, it's exactly that that setup for sure. Um, so this is maybe sort of a, uh, a very high level question as far as like sort of generic, but what, what are some of the benefits for, for endurance athletes? Like why, if I'm an endurance athlete, you know, I put in, you know, X amount of hours or running or biking or swimming and, and I'm, I'm pretty fit and whatever, like, why do I even need to do strength training? Like wh what are some benefits, uh, for, for me? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of benefits um, and it also depends on what type of athlete you are. So are you a beginner and you're intermediate or are you an advanced um, beginners is going to have a higher percentage of benefits from strength training. 
Okay. And at advanced, they probably have already done strength training. So the benefits are going to be a lot smaller because of the definition of where they need that adaptation. So in terms of basic benefits uh, for endurance athletes, it's injury prevention. I think I think that's so broad though for me to say. I was thinking about that and writing that writing that down earlier because I, you could have an ultra runner go out and they did some amazing strength training, but they rolled their ankle. Like sure. <laughs> our strength training is not to make everything perfect and full 100% injury prevention. It is to make you stronger so you can land appropriately or you can push the pedal more appropriately. I think there's a lot of insight on injury prevention around just the full body concept of strength training. If you're doing a lot more compound exercises, which is full body, multi-joint, it's the same as if you're a runner, you're using full body, multi-joint. So it kind of plays into the same uh, synergistic movements that you're trying to do as an athlete. And people forget that. They forget how a squat synchronization can actually help penetrate the push off of a, a mountain when you're running up a mountain for an mm. ultra runner. Um, and to say, I'm not an ultra runner, but I've been studying it since I've been working with Uheska. I've been studying the science behind it a little bit more, um, coordination, like strength training. There's a lot more control, right? You're putting weights in your hand. You have to control the movement. You have to control the weight. A huge component is just once you start to add weight and get strength gains, you're going to add some sort of control to the muscle right? You're going to add the coordination of being able to push off and do plyometrics faster when you're running up a hill. And the same for cyclists or any other endurance athlete. Strength training puts control on muscle and it helps when you're doing basic runs, easy runs, or even someone that is doing a walk, like a run walk. Yeah. Um, I think Plyometrics is a huge component of strength training as well, but you need strength in order to do power moves. Right. So, and and when you think of it, power is always part of runners. At any pace, you are landing almost three times your body weight sometimes, depending on the speed that you're going. So if you can articulate that into strength training, where you actually need to lift certain things, like some components you're going to be able to land faster in that three times land when you're running. So the strength's going to help the actual components of endurance athletes. Um, and I think a couple last things with the benefits of strength training is just being reactive. Even with cyclists, you have to be reactive in corners, depending on what type of race and criterion you have to attack at certain times. So the reaction of the lower body, the strength of being able to sprint super fast and then be done in 10 seconds plays a part with how strong you need to be in the gym as well. Yeah. Um, and then I think just the reaction of like runners is you think of the time that a runner in a marathon is running for an average person. Uh, it's between the three and four hour marker. So they're going to be running a little bit slower than the advanced. So once you start to add strength training in the idea of um, power onto it, 
over a given amount of time to implement that program, you're going to allow that person to be able to run a little bit faster in that three to four hour marker. Um, and I think it just depends on that person. It goes back to if you're a beginner, um, you're going to be doing beginner moves. But uh, I think overall, I think strength training benefits all aspects of all endurance um, sports. I can tell you, you have a full poke, uh, pull-up day and people forget how much the lats come to play as runners, right? Yeah. Moving that yeah. arm. Why do we want to work on pull-ups? So it kind of plays into just what is what is the goal of that person? Um, what are their goals for that race? And then why do we want to do strength training and how often? Got it. And And I think you make a great point. I think that so much, especially sort of historically has been, you know, if strength training was even mentioned for endurance athletes, it's just, well, you just need to be stronger because it's going to help you. But there was never sort of that conversation about the direct application that you mentioned, like that running is a ballistic sport, right? And, and that, you know, strengthening, you know, the muscles and the connective tissue and all that kind of stuff. And, and I feel like it's, again, back to your point, original point of the education, I think it's so critically important because, if you, I think if you can tell a runner or a cyclist or whoever, a triathlete, this is going to help your performance, they're much more inclined to do it than just, just do it. Cause you know, it'll make you stronger. Like that's so sort of ambiguous. So, uh, it, I, I think things are moving in the right direction. I'm sure there's still hesitancy on, on some, because I think, I, I think the other thing with, the, I don't know if you've come across this with your, with your athletes that you work with it, but because I think strength training isn't valued as much as it should, it's almost viewed as a liability where, okay, I take a day off the bike or running, I take a day off my cardio to do lift a couple weights. That's going to make me worse. Like that's, you know, so do, do you, do you ever encounter that sort of uh, perspective on things? And if so, maybe how do you, how do you kind of get their mind back to, to, okay, this is, it's not a liability. This is going to be helping you. Yeah, I, I think it's just part of educating your athletes and edu educating coaches, because I think um, part of it is if the athlete doesn't know that they're about to be sore working through an eccentric phase, they're not going to know what the benefit of that is and how they feel. Yeah. So they're going to consider it as a detriment, like you just said, to their training because they're going to get on their bike sore. Right. <laughs> they're going to go out running sore and they think that as a negative component. Mm. I think a huge thing for uh, coaches is to understand that you need to educate whenever you're kind of changing up strength for a phase for that athlete, you need to educate the athlete on what they're going to feel potentially for yeah. that phase in strength training. Because if you are strength training or if you're um, programming strength training correctly, you will go through concentric, eccentric, and isometric, right? Yeah. The three components of strength training. However, you're always going to have concentric a lot more in the programming. You're going to have concentric, eccentric a little bit less, but the eccentric is where we start to see some soreness to yeah. be just very on the basic terms, like soreness from the athletes. And if you don't articulate in that phase, what they potentially might feel and why, and then why the program is set up like that, we're going to see a lot of pushback on why am I doing strength training? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about the, you know, the, the doms or the, you know, the, the discomfort <laughs> perspective yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, 
So and you I, hit on, I'll, oh, go I'll, ahead. Say more, I'll say one more thing to that. I was on a call yesterday also too, with an athlete, they have a race coming up. Um, I was kind of overseeing and helping on this call, um, with uh, team EF that I'm on and the athlete was saying, man, I'm really sore from the workout that they just did this weekend. And it was Tuesday. So in terms of physiology, they still have a good amount of time for recovery before sure. leading up to their Saturday and Sunday race. So the coach, my director was talking about why we want a little bit of power movement and soreness way before the potential of a race to benefit that race. So he, he did an amazing job educating. Mm. I understand you're sore. That's why we're taking more breaks this week before you're going up to the race. He's articulating information correctly. And we, he also just had to remind like, yes, we knew you were going to be sore this week for just a little bit of it, because it's actually going to dissipate and help you with the power moves that you're going to be doing in the criterium this weekend, mm. which is awesome. So I think there's just a reiteration of education to athletes because they're not the ones studying these things. Sure. Not, unless they they have been doing it for a long time, they're not going to understand that I am sore leading up to a race. This does not sound correct. Yeah. 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 It's almost the opposite probably in their mind, right? Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned before about, and this is maybe one of the biggest areas I think that uh, is sort of interesting about our discussion today about the integration of a strength training program into an endurance program. Because I think a lot of people, you know, whether it be personal trainers, endurance athletes themselves, endurance athletes, coaches don't really understand that. So if, if you could, what are some sort of key elements of how to properly integrate, uh, strength training with an endurance program. And of course it'll vary, you know, obviously based on the individual, their schedule and a lot of other variables, but are there any sort of um, almost universal things that you would say uh, on that topic? So we're kind of talking about concurrent training, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think the first thing to say is just um, it depends on where they are in their season. Okay. Okay. So Concurrent training is a combination of strength training and endurance on a given day or throughout the week. Um, generally, we're seeing it where people want to do a little bit of endurance and strength training, and then where to put it. Is strength training supposed to be at the beginning of the day and endurance at the end of the day or vice versa? So there's an answer to that, and then there's still science on that. So I'm going to kind of answer towards what the science is correctly on that. Okay. Um, Concurrent training is based on the season. So I'm just going to break it up in super simple seasons. We have an off season. We have a, a base season, a build season, and a peak season. Uh, the peak season is generally leading right into any event or goal that an individual has. So during off season, I believe athletes should be doing strength training more often in order to see strength gains. Strength gains generally come from hypertrophy. So in order to elicit hypertrophy, you need to strength train more often. So you're going to see more strength training instead of the endurance during off season to increase those hypertrophy demands. Um, 
And so in terms of base, build, and peak, we're going to see more of that concurrent training because we're trying to do strength training generally just by itself during off-season to have those demands because you're going to be lifting a little bit heavier. Um, You're going to be seeing longer lift sessions and more lift sessions. During base season, you're going to start to see a build in volume generally with uh, endurance athletes. So once that volume comes up, you're not going to necessarily see quite a bit of a drop in strength training. You're going to see that concurrent session. Depending on the day and the goal for that day for the endurance athlete, such as an easy run, we might see a strength training on that day. And more often we'll see total body um, combo days because of not being able to get as much strength training in during the week. Okay. If I were to tell an endurance athlete that they're going to be doing strength training three times a week, sometimes people can't do that as often and you can't get in an hour of strength training, which would be a huge benefit. We might only see 30, 30 minutes from the beginning. So during base, we want to see the strength training at the beginning of the day, because it is still a focus for that athlete because they're not in um, higher interval phases quite yet. Okay. So strength training should generally be at the beginning of the day. And this isn't just coming from what I've worked with. It's coming from a lot of the articles that I've been reading, um, the past couple of years okay. is it's just depending on that base phase and the day that they're, what they're doing on that day for the endurance program. You get into your build phase, you're going to see the intensity increase as well. So you're going to see more intervals. You're going to see more track work in that phase as well. So on those days, it depends on um, what the intensity is on that day. So if we have a track day, normally an interval day in the morning, we're going to see strength training more often in the evenings. So then the focus changes because the focus is more on that runner and their programming than the strength training. Okay. So as we started for off season strength training generally by itself on some days with timing, you can be doing it, um, with endurance on the base, on the base phase, you're going to start to see strength training at the beginning and endurance in the afternoon build. You're going to see strength training generally at the end, uh, depending on that type of intensity for the day. And then in peak phase, we're going to see uh, the timing of the sessions go down a little bit because okay. you're actually trying to get into more of a power and plyometric phase because of trying to change up the demand that they're going to see in peak and goal phase. You try to match that energy system that they're in. Got so it. if their energy system is more in, I'm getting ready for a race. So I'm do, doing more intervals before my last two weeks of deloading. You want to match the string training with the energy system that they're in as well. Okay. You won't necessarily see super heavy uh, eccentric work. You'll see more explosive work at that time. Okay. So it depends on that season for that athlete. Um, But with research, they're seeing just depending on the season of that endurance athlete, whether a cyclist, a runner, even a swimmer, um, it's the component of seasons. The second thing, which is, I'll just throw kind of in for a second is depending on the intensity of that day. So 
if one day on a Monday is an easy run and another day is a tempo or interval run, generally you're still going to match the intensity of that athlete as well. So what energy system are they going to be doing? So if it's an easy run, I generally won't do one to two rep range. Let's max you out on an easy day with strength training. You want to be close in um, the intensity matching the actual uh, endurance component as well. Mm, The interval day, if it's zone three, zone four, we can actually match sometimes that intensity with a run and do a harder lift. Okay. Because their body is going to take a little bit longer to adapt to uh, that intensity. We actually are going to have them at that intensity a lot longer. So if I have someone lifting pretty heavy in the morning, it might benefit them with their interval run in the afternoon. So science saying stay within that energy system or in an adjacent energy system from what you're doing for that endurance. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, it's fascinating because I feel like, you know, experienced endurance athletes or even beginners understand periodization when it comes to, uh, even at the most basic level, when it comes to the cardiovascular programming, sort of like you said, the sort of off-season, base season and everything. But strength training, I, I feel like from a periodization standpoint, is is even if people know about strength training, they probably do the same type of thing. They just maybe keep lifting heavier because your body adapts, but, but to the point of training, you know, in, uh, conjunction with the energy system or, you know, really understanding the, um, concurrent training, it's just the knowledge isn't there again, which goes back to your original point of just education, 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 because I mean, I feel like most people would not put together strength training and periodization, the same sentences. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think I, I do think strength training programming is difficult. I I can't say like you can learn it overnight and then start to implement it. It has just been a continuous um, search for why. Like, (laughs) would I do this program? Um, The biggest thing I'm researching right now for a lot of the science is when do we implement eccentric and when do we implement isometric and how Mm. A lot of the research is saying 70% of your program is going to be concentric. Okay. 20% is going to be eccentric and 10% is going to be isometric. Got it. Crazy. No, no general person is going to know that, but right. also where to put that in a program. Sure. Am I, am I going to tax an athlete that is going into a race a week out with eccentric work? Probably not. Right. Because they're going to be so sore. Sure. There's timing and there's science there. There's so much science coming out. Like I said before about this. So periodization, I think is just evolving every year because we're trying to understand what is best for that athlete. I think there's no exact answer. Yeah. (laughs) I think think just start the strength train, like start to do basics. People look on social media and they're like, cool, someone's doing a BOSU ball squat with a barbell on their back doing it. Like, why is it that difficult? Yeah. And and athletes think that they should be doing something that advanced. Yeah. I I stick with the foundations. Just like you do with your off season, you're, you're doing easy runs you're working on preventative injuries that you've had over the year, just start with foundations. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think people make it so difficult. <laughs> But that's a great point, though. You know, and this is something that didn't exist, obviously, when I was younger, the whole social media element, like Instagram and TikTok and all that, like, and there's all these like crazy, you know, sort of like, you know, sort of the sexy ton of stuff out there, like, oh, that's really complicated and cool looking, you know, without an understanding of what's really required to do that. And is that even, do you even need that in the first place? Right. But it's cool looking. So I want to do it versus just like, A, you're not there yet. And B, you probably don't even need to be doing it. It's just like, it just looks really cool, you know, unless you're joining a circus or something. Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. There's, there's <laughs> crazy stuff out there. <laughs> there when I look, I'm like, wow, good for you. But shit, I wouldn't give that to a client. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> they end up in the ER. <laughs> Endurance athletes historically, I feel like also shy away from lifting heavy weight. And I guess heavy weight being like whatever's heavy for them, right? Um, because that's a domain of power lifters, bodybuilders, you know, that's, you know, look, I just, I pedal at 120 RPMs. That's clearly not a lot of, you know, pressure compared to like squatting. So why should I be doing that or running, for example? What What is like, is that just completely, I just don't need that? Um, or should I be lifting heavy? Um, so figured I, I'd like to get sort of your, your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. You don't want to be Arnold. That's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to be Arnold. My, my <laughs> genetics say otherwise, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it depends on the person. I, I will say that because, there are some hidden um, medical uh, sides to an individual that we might not be aware of where they shouldn't lift heavyweight. Okay. Um, someone might not be able to for some um, uh, scoliosis. I generally, depending sure. on the person uh, in their history and the severity of it, might not put them in a heavyweight phase. Um, and also any individuals that are having like immune issues, um, you could tax someone and heavy lift and they could be out for weeks depending on if they can recover from that. Um, and then what they're going medically through. Okay. Um, on the other side with just endurance, the average endurance athlete, I think there's a time to bring in heavy lifting and generally that is in off season. Okay. Um, I think with endurance athletes, we're trying to do more of a maintenance program throughout this, the main part of the season, because of such a high volume with running and cycling that you are going to lose some of that strength training. So maintenance is maintaining the strength that you work through for six, potentially 12 weeks in off season to maintain that strength during your season. Mm -hmm. And so I will say a lot of the information out there is saying that heavy training should be for anybody and especially endurance athletes, but during specific time, generally seen in off season. Okay. Um, and it's tough because that takes, you can't say, okay, it's off season. Let's do your one rep max right away. <laughs> like right. you have to build into that heavy. Sure. So that's why I don't think it's a bad thing that endurance athletes do it. But I also think if you're going to get into heavy lifting and see some strength gains with heavy lifting, three reps, four reps, um, see a coach for a little while. Yeah. Because 
you might be doing a deadlift that is not proper technique. And that's where the injuries come in. Sure. Where they don't want to do the strength training anymore because their back is so taxed the next day. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is they don't understand that they're doing it wrong. So they just think that movement that they did that they've seen on social media is going to benefit them. And now they don't feel good doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I, I think, I think every endurance athlete should do heavy lifting. I think at the right time and through the right incremental progression and a program, um, And then I think you can maintain it at certain points leading up into like base and build phase. And then eventually you're going to start to get out of that uh, neurology phase, that neural path of one rep, two rep, three rep, Mm -hmm. into more of a six to 12 rep for that athlete. Okay. I think people need to practice it. Practice heavy lifting. Yeah. Because it can, you can injure yourself. Yeah. That's a great point about, about, you know, working with a coach. And and I don't think a lot of people, especially, you know, when, when you, you know, watch Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you know, especially when you see someone really proficient, at, like any, I feel like any athlete or any, you know, you see someone really proficient at it, they make it look so damn easy. Like, oh, I could do that. Like I was just watching a video of Michaela Schifrin doing the slalom. Like I can ski, you know, it doesn't look that hard. You know, <laughs> it's insanely hard. And I think things like squatting, deadlifting to the uneducated eye, these are like, oh, that's a pretty basic movement. It's an insanely complex movement, you know, mechanically and timing and, and everything. So I think that's a, you know, and it, it's great advice about coaching because you can injure yourself, obviously, pretty, pretty, pretty severely if you don't know what you're doing in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just goes back to just understanding why eventually you, you need to lift heavy and at what phase. I think another thing that comes with heavy lifting is technique um, yeah. in terms of like loading and deloading. If you have someone that's about to do a dumbbell bench press and they have super heavy in their, their hands, they can do the weight you already know ahead of time. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing that way, but they don't know how to take the weights down. Yeah. That could also be a component of just teaching the athlete on how to take dumbbells to the ground safely (laughs) instead of throwing them away when you're (laughs) at a big lifetime gym and hopefully not hitting the person next to you on the other bench. Yeah. I, I think it's just super basic components is, you know, how do you rack how do you rack a heavy weight? How do you get yep. out of a heavy weight if you can't push it up or pull it up? Yeah. How do you put heavy weight in your hand? What's the type of different grips that what's a stronger grip versus a more advanced grip? Um, so I think a lot of heavy lifting, so many components come with it. Um, but I also think that's not so many components that you can't learn it. That's yeah. why I'm saying go work with a coach for a couple of weeks. Like yeah. um, to three months and have them teach those things for you. So you can actually eventually do it on your own. Um, there, there's not that much out there that says you can't learn those things. It's just, you haven't tried to learn those things. Sure. So again, uh, a good segue, I think into the next question. So there's pretty much any gym you walk into, there's going to be personal trainers available for hire, Um, obviously some better than others. And then you all, people also hear the term strength conditioning, you know, especially people hear it in regard to like professional sports teams, uh, you know, D1 collegiate teams have strength conditioning coaches. What's the difference between 
you know, the, the, the personal trainer in, like you said, sort of a, a gym situation and a true strength conditioning specialist, maybe that works at the collegiate level or independently. Um, is there a difference? And if I'm an endurance athlete seeking out again, how to lift properly form, how to, pro- how to progress is, would you say they should steer one way or the other, or is it sort of just based off the individual person and what their knowledge base is? Um, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a difference, um, a little bit of a difference, honestly, I think there's a big spectrum of, they both know, um, how to move somebody, um, personal training generally you'll see in a big corporate gym, um, strength coaches you'll generally see with athletes, like athlete teams. Um, the big difference is a little bit of the science side. Generally you'll see strength conditioning, um, athletes seeking out like, uh, advanced power lifts, um, Olympic lifts, um, which is not bad. You'll see still some personal trainers, um, know, how to do those movements as well. But when it goes towards working with a coach, there's generally no difference in terms of when you walk into a gym and have a personal trainer, or you walk into like a small independent studio and you're seeking out a strength coach. Uh, I think it just depends on the athlete, but I generally will see there's no big difference when you're seeking a coach. Okay. Um, I do say if people are seeking a coach, go test the gym out for a week and pay attention to the coaches that are around you. Because I think in any industry, and you'll say this too, Rick, any industry, there are good and bad coaches. Sure. My tip for this is walk into a gym and watch the coaches. Go on the floor where you're on where you're back on your treadmill and you can see the coaches on the floor interacting, um, changing, cueing. They have a program with them, uh, with their athletes. That is a good coach. That is a good coach that you want. Yeah. Um, because, because they're so in tune to that program because you're, you are going to be at facilities where coaches are just there to get their athletes to move and they don't have anything with them. They have their arms crossed. Uh, I, I unfortunately see the bad side because I've been in personal training facilities for a long time um, that you you want to have someone that will give you change, that yeah. will benefit you to want to strength train for the rest of your life. Yeah. Not just this one goal that you have to finish a marathon and also lose 20 pounds while doing it. I think a good coach is somebody that is just so interactive with you. And that has everything in front of them for their session for you. It is one big tip for any athlete seeking a coach. Yeah. It's always so frustrating to me. Like, you know, I, I, for several gyms, I ran the personal training department and I would see coaches or trainers on the floor with their arms crossed or sitting on the floor, watching TV, you know, versus like, as far, I always say as far when, if a, a quote unquote, good coach or good personal trainer there could be a million people in that room. There could be celebrities wandering around, but as far as that's concerned, there's only one other person in the room and that's your, your client that you're working with. And, and I think, so I think those, uh, you know, it shows who takes their job seriously. So I think that's really good advice. It's really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, watch the coach because, um, you also see that they're rolling into multiple athletes. Like they, 
just have one and they're done for a while, they're normally going to have a pretty booked um, session with clients within the day. And you'll just see how interactive they are. I mean, I kneel quite a bit with yeah. people that I meet with yeah. um, because I'm normally on my computer uh, jotting down things after they do an exercise. Sure. So it's just how interactive do you want also that coach yeah. to be with you on the other side of it is like, do yeah. you want a coach that does cross their arms and gives you a program and then you're done for the day? Um, because realistically you're there paid in 120 for one hour. Um, that is quite expensive. So you yeah. want to get what you're paying for that one hour. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, obviously th there's a lot of, there's a million different exercises out there. Um, you know, going back to sort of the functional side, you know, or, or specific side, I should say, um, you know, swimmers might get different exercises than a runner or cyclist, but are there any exercises that you would consider sort of foundational staple exercises for any endurance athlete out there that would benefit them? Um, I mean, I, I think the, the most basic ones, which is like a push and pull movement, upper body, um, horizontal push, pull and movement, upper body. So there's four and then, yep. um, lower body, I think generally split squatting for endurance athletes. Okay. Sing, I think single leg split squatting, um, because you're using unilateral movements in yep. your sport generally, um, whether it is a swimmer, cause you're, you're pedaling with single arm, you're alternating it just like a cyclist, you're alternating your legs. I think we have to use more unilateral movements and then advance those unilateral movements and keep going back and forth to both legs and single leg, because that'll help that strength gain over time. Um, I think a lot of people should start doing pull-ups. Okay. Huge amount of people should do pull-ups because it is so demanding our diaphragm, right? It is bringing so much strength in our upper body and the joint integrity of our shoulders but it is increasing the demand of our diaphragm when we're rotating so much in running and in cycling that it's actually bringing a lot of strength to it. Instead of just doing ab work, pull-ups is doing a lot more demanding on upper body. And like that synchronization that I was telling you earlier, you're, you're using multiple muscles in single movements to kind of pull over to the things that you're doing in a basic day, which is your general endurance, um, sport. Gotcha. So I, I think the basics overhead press and pull, you have a, a row to a chest press, and then you have a squat to a deadlift and then changing those up from bilateral to unilateral. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Again, I, again, I don't think it has to be complicated, right? People overcomplicate no. it and, and maybe they go from instead of, you know, one to two to three, they go from one to 60, <laughs> you know, yeah. quickly and then, and then get injured. And, uh, so that's, that's definitely good advice. Um, I, I think something like, as, as you noted, as, uh, you know, as the periodization, uh, progresses as an athlete is doing more volume or more intensity, um, that obviously changes the the strength training component. You know, I was reading the other day, I think it's, you know, as far as maintaining the strength that you get from base, is that, I think I was reading if, as long as you do basically one day, or maybe it's, I forget if it's one or two days um, per week, um, 
to help, again, you're not going to gain, but you'll more or less maintain those gains that you've created through that base period. Is that what the research is also saying? So to know that it's, again, if I still do get that one day in uh, during the season, not all is lost. Yeah. Man, there's a lot of articles that are challenging that right now. Okay. Okay. Um, Yes, I would say, man, if you can at least, of course, get in one strength training session, one full hour, like it has to be no less than one hour in a week. Perfect. Right. Yeah. That's all the time that you have. That's all the time that you can give. Yeah. I also think that we forget that we have super busy lives, especially people that have kids. And if that is all you can get in because you have so much more other things to do in your life, and then you also have to do your training for your nursing, get that one session in. Um, in order to maintain, they're seeing two sessions a week though. Okay. So they're saying 30 to 45 minutes to maintain once you're past the base phase. Okay. Um, so it, it just depends on the person. I can't say don't do, I, I can't say like, you you can you're giving me one session, but we need to do two. Like you can't tell people like that anymore sure. because there there's no way that they can change their lives <laughs> yeah. in order to get that second session in. Yeah. So I I think to be um empathetic to what that person's coming with and their availability, give them all they can in that one session and do that one strength session. Um but a lot of science is saying at least two per week. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I always, to some degree, hate those, those articles about like how the pros train because people extrapolate from that. This is how I should train if I want to be really, really good. Right. And one of our contributors, Nell Rojas, she's a professional runner, um, marathon runner, but she has such a unique take on it because she's also a coach. She trains, she coaches a lot of people. And she she's like, look, don't do what I do. Like you can't do that much because when I'm done, I lay on the couch, <laughs> you know, and and recover. That's my entire life. You know, you have to pick the kids up at school and you got to make dinner and you gotta, you know, do whatever job you go to. So I, I think it's important, uh, to your point, to to like you said, appreciate that every person, I guess, is different and they have different lifestyles and different demands. And it's, it's, I may, maybe the, that, I guess I'm trying, trying to sum it up with sort of something is better than nothing, right. And not try to be that ideal that you read about. And, you know, this is how XYZ pro trains or again, whatever's on Instagram or TikTok. Yeah, man, I've been my entire life, a huge person that as good as I'm going to get that's how good I'm going to get. I'm, I'm not trying to challenge somebody else. I'm yeah. not trying to be better than somebody else. I'm trying to be better than myself every day. Yeah. And to her extent, it's perfect. She is doing her training that may not be great for one of her athletes. The, right. on, the other set, on the other side of that, I mean, you also want to be with a coach that you're seeing doing these great things. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like you want to hear that they're doing a great job, but a lot of athletes will compare themselves to better athletes. Yeah. Um, if you're competing, fantastic. Like that that's what you should be doing. That's what you need to be better than them at. Yeah. Um, but I think we compare ourselves to um, individuals way too often 
just like I said, I think a huge part of it is social media. Yeah. Uh, like you will see your coach do like last week I did a 205 pound deadlift. My athletes cannot do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love for them to see what I'm doing to be healthy because I think a huge part is you walk the walk, you talk the talk, like do what you can do the best, but also tell your clients like, yeah, like I just did this, be excited about it, but say like, we're not going to do that. You're at a different phase in your programming. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's really good for athletes to see it, but I think people have to understand everyone is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's completely different. Yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. And yeah, it's, it's challenging. I think for some people to, to, to not, you know, to see stuff out there every day on social media and being like, I want to do that. And then realizing that they can't, that's just, that's not, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always a challenge I feel like, but, yeah. but I, I do agree that it's, it's definitely motivational. It's just a function of what, what's the expectation. How do you manage expectations? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My, um, I'll give you an example. My, my brother has been a personal training and strength coach for 20 years. Mm. It's in the family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And a long time ago, he probably does this recent too. The only way that you comparing yourself to a coach would just be in a fun aspect. My brother does challenges with some of his athletes that are capable of actually meeting what he's doing in his programming. Oh, nice. They'll do 5K competitions. That's hard. That is very hard on your energy system. No beginner can do that. And so he'll do challenges that are deadlifting, Olympic lifting to see if his clients that are capable of doing that weight and those lifts can meet the coach's challenge. Yeah. So it's fun. There's those components that you can do that where your athletes can meet those demands that you're doing in the weight room. And, yeah. and when he's running uh, a one mile, can they beat him in his four, four, 10 minute mile, which is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's kind of the only time that I would see why you would kind of monitor what other people are doing is yeah. just kind of the fun, like have fun in your training. And he allows that. That's awesome. What happens is on that day you're doing the testing and trying to beat your coach, but you need to have fun during the entire uh training process leading yes. up to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it I, I think you hit, you know, not to to kind of go off this topic too much, but I think just as far as training in general, I do think that for a lot of people, it starts off as fun. Like, oh, I'm going to train for XYZ race. And then it gets not fun. Like people, especially in terms of athletes who I feel like are, are oftentimes sort of that type A, um, it, they, they put so much pressure on themselves and they get so wrapped up in just everything. It becomes just all about training and less about fun. Um, and and that's why, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with that cyclist, Peter Sagan, who just recently retired. I think one of the reasons people loved him is because it, it, it never looked like he was like, yes, he trained, but it always seemed like he was just screwing around having fun, you know, and by, yeah. and yes, he won through world championships in a row by having fun. But I feel like that's one thing that endurance athletes need to kind of remember is like, most of us aren't doing this for the paycheck. We're just out there you know, have, should be having fun. And I think that's the other thing. I think that motive that pe- when people lose motivation or burn out as athletes, it's because it's not fun anymore. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's really unfortunate. So I guess that's maybe the other component of, you know, the cardiovascular program, the strength program, how can you implement all this? So you're progressing, but also having fun in the process. 
Yeah. I think it ends to one word is your, what's your purpose? Yeah. Yeah. What's your purpose? What is this race? How does it make you feel when you finish this race? Yeah. On race day, like, how do you feel? How do you want to feel? So everything leading up to it, you know, is what is your purpose? What is your intent in every single one? But it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to go out for a run and you completely forget like what's around you. You might have like a river that's a completely beautiful and yeah. you're not even noticing <laughs> your environment. Yeah. Like there, there's just things that we forget that 90% is your training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that couple of days leading up to it, planning, being around an event, which is always fun, being around the people um, is the best part because you've done all the training, you're, you're feeling good, and you're going to have that one day, maybe two, depending on a cyclist, stage racing, so multiple days. Um, crazy people that do ultra running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 48 hours. Right. Um, you know, you have those just couple of things that you're leading to the happiness. So what is your intent and purpose leading up to it? Mine is always just feeling good and happy and so happy that I can do these things as well. Yes. Like that's I'm a great not, point. I'm not injured right now. I'm going to go out for a run and enjoy this run, but it also has intent to that run. I'm supposed yeah. to do a simple run. So I think, I think that's rolls back to strength training. Like we're losing what the purpose is for strength training because strength training is just to get that athlete strong for that event. But we're forgetting that strength training is for longevity. Yeah. It's going to strengthen your bones, your bone, your muscles, move your bones, like muscles need to be strong in order for your bones to be strong. So I think we're forgetting that strength training doesn't also just make you strong in your event. It's going to make you strong when you're done with your events and you're not completely laying on the floor for days because you're so obliterated from that event that you can't do anything afterwards. Yeah. Even when you get older, you're strong enough. You can still continually do the events and your knees aren't ripped apart. Um, so I think it goes back to what is your purpose for doing all this and making yourself feel so good on that one day? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think a macro approach to that and what a big picture is definitely definitely important. Um, well, thank you so much, Lori, for this. And I, I should say, as you sort of alluded to doing some work for USCA, so Lori is currently creating our final certification for USCA, which is our strength conditioning certification. So that will hopefully be coming out in the in the coming months. I know a lot of your work is, <laughs> a lot of your time is going to that for now. So something something to be on the lookout for. And, and all this cool research that she discussed will obviously will obviously be in there as well. So, well, thank you so much, Lori. This has been great. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much. I loved being on it. I, you know, I love talking about this um, and I hope it helps coaches be more motivated to do strength training. And I hope the certification gives enough guidance to coaches to want to be really good at strength training, um, whatever type of endurance coach you are and athlete you are. Um, yeah, I, I just enjoyed this and I, I love you know, teaching and educating and talking to you also. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, hopefully we can do this again. Maybe after the SNC comes out uh, certification, we can do this again and maybe even uh, do a, something live, take questions or something like that. Okay. That sounds great. Thanks, Rick. All right. Thank you.